check the mic and make sure it sound right, boys. Come one, come all. And be sure to turn up the volume a little bit. Not because it's mutton busting season, but because our side is continuing that positive march towards a return to the playoffs. This is a toast to the A-Town. And here on episode 13, we will focus on several things. Numbers, because there's nothing unlucky in our game. Health, talking the recovery process. And music. A whole lot of music. I'm your host, Andre Aldrich, and thank you very much for joining us. Now, before we really get started, let's take care of a little bit of business. This weekend's UFC 261 is sure to be a can't-miss event. Every punch, kick, and knockout means so much more with the DraftKings lineup on the line. DraftKings, the official daily fantasy partner of UFC, is giving you a shot at huge cash prizes. For this weekend's fight, DraftKings is offering all players a shot at millions of dollars in total prizes. If you haven't tried it yet, Fantasy MMA is easy to play. Just pick six fighters, stay under the salary cap, and pile up points for advances, takedowns, and more. There's no better way to put your MMA knowledge to the test than to compete for a shot at millions of dollars in total prizes. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. Download the DraftKings app now and use promo code TBPN to get a shot at millions of dollars in total prizes throughout the week. That's promo code TBPN to get a shot at millions of dollars in total prizes only at DraftKings. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. All right, so much to think and talk about as the Atlanta Hawks continue to put their best collective work together at the proper time of the regular season. The Hawks had a three-game work week with back-to-back games against the Magic and Knicks, followed by a Friday night affair at home against the division rival Heat. As expected, they took care of Orlando by 16 points, but then the biggest story of the week happened the following night in New York on Wednesday. In a crucial game, With the New Yorkers entering the contest just a half game behind the Hawks, Trey Young suffered an ankle injury that will keep him sidelined indefinitely as I sit here now. The injury happened with a little over a minute left in the third quarter and the Hawks leading by eight points. Now the Knicks would go on to rally, continuing the great New York minutes they've had of late, and posted a 10-point overtime victory, 137-127. That meant a season sweep for them against us, and an eighth straight win overall. No answer for Julius Randle, who had 40 points and 10 rebounds. But when I say, and the beat goes on, well, in more ways than one. Our team has dealt with injuries this entire season, so not a happy flight back to Atlanta from Gotham. Our biggest star is going to miss some games, and that next task on the agenda was a Friday night date in Atlanta against Miami. The winner of the game will get the tiebreaker as far as playoff seeding between the two teams. And you better believe the Heat, who were in the NBA Finals last year, smelled blood in the water. But now let's talk a little bit about attitude and leadership. Because it wasn't just Trey Young out of the lineup. Clint Capella, who took a tough fall in New York the previous night, was also in street clothes. Gonna need a real serious dose of that next man up mentality. And those aren't just words with this team. It's a serious belief. So let's talk a little bit about the man responsible for directing all of this. The man who wants no credit. To understand that part of it, though, we need to take a little history lesson 
and it begins on the other side of the country. You think the tightest five-man group out of Los Angeles would have to be the Lakers, but I'm here to say not necessarily. A couple of years after the Lakers relocated from Minneapolis, five guys were forming a singing group together in Watts, and their plan was to stick together until they reached the very top of their profession, and nothing would stop that. Not a car injury that would force the replacement of an original member, and not getting drafted into the Vietnam War for one of the twin leaders of the group. He served 18 months for his country, then returned to continue as part of the team. The group I'm talking about, the Whispers. They would go on to worldwide success as a quintet for over three decades. And one of the and when one of the original members lost his life to prostate cancer, they vowed to never replace him and continued working as a quartet. And the beat goes on. That was one of their biggest number one hits. Five words that can translate to so many avenues in life. And that 1980 number one hit for the Whispers takes us to another important year for this episode of the podcast as it relates to Hawks fans, 1998. You see, 1998 was the year Trey Young was born. 1998 was also the final year that Nate McMillan suited up in an NBA uniform. Nate spent all 12 of his NBA seasons as a player in Seattle. And no surprise that during the 1997-98 season, his numbers were not impactful, only played in 18 games, and only started one. By this point, Hersey Hawkins and David Wingate were seeing more meaningful minutes. But I made it a point to speak to some of Nate's former teammates this week. And my question for them was, did his attitude, his work ethic, or his attention to detail change at all as his playing time diminished towards the latter stages of his career? And the answers I received from multiple teammates was the same. Absolutely not. He was a serious, no-nonsense guy when he played all of the time. And he was that exact same person in years 11 and 12. If you're going to be in the same locker room as Nate McMillan, then you had better be all about winning. That was job number one. So that's the baseline of who Nate McMillan is. And that is noteworthy. So let's think a little bit about the guy who commands so much of our attention. You know, the guy who was born in 1998. With a current injury to Trey Young being such a big part of the story, now is a perfect time to ask our friend Wally Blaze to make a return appearance as a guest here on A Toast to the A-Town. With two decades of experience in treating NBA injuries, I'm really looking forward to his knowledge on what we as Hawks fans can legitimately expect from Trey when he returns back to the floor. And if you were with us for episode 11, when Wally shares some phenomenal music stories about his experiences with Pearl Jam, the Rolling Stones, and others, well, there isn't a more perfect guest to have back when I'm also steering the discussion towards my love of music. So that'll be just a little bit later here in episode 13. And the beat goes on. That Whisper song also connects us back to 1998 because that song was sampled for the Will Smith hit, Miami. I love the fact that Ava Mendez was in the video of Miami. Not germane to our story, but I'm just saying. Anyway, Miami was the third single from Will's Big Willie style album. And let's get back to what I believe has been the Hawks' biggest and most important win of the season, which happened on Friday here in the A-Town against Miami. 
Now, coming off that tough loss to the Knicks, no ice tray, no Clint Capella. But the good news, just as far as bodies are concerned, was that Danilo Gallinari returned from a six-game absence. Uh, he had a big 17 points. Matter of fact, Gallinari, Brandon Goodwin, and Lou Williams combined to score 47 points against the Heat. And Bogdan Bogdanovich continuing to show a bigger comfort level here in Atlanta each and every game. Definitely looking like every single dollar the Hawks used to get his services is turning out to be a bargain. He had 21 points in the contest. In the third quarter of the game, there have been six lead changes. However, the Hawks, after taking a 79-78 lead with four and a half minutes left in the third on a John Collins bucket, never trailed in the game again. They put the pedal to the metal in the fourth quarter and picked up a huge 118-103 victory. So, time to exhale, right? Well, not exactly. Not at all. On paper, a difficult Sunday night matchup with Milwaukee. Now, the Hawks had lost six games in a row to the Bucks, and for this one, they trailed by eight at halftime. They also hadn't attempted a free throw in the first half. Whine, cry, blame the refs? Not allowed for Coach McMillan. He stressed the importance of attacking the rim and being more impressive, more aggressive in the second half, and the Hawks would get 23 second-half free throws, making 18 of them including 9 of 12 in the fourth quarter. And the most drama was in the fourth quarter, which the Hawks still trailed by eight points when it started. But that was showtime for Lou Williams and Bogey Bogdanovich. Lou was 0 for 7 going into those final 12 minutes of play. But that just meant 12 minutes to get more shot attempts up for the mayor of Lou Willville. The Hawks took their first lead of the game when Lou made his first shot of the night a three to make it 85 to 84 with seven minutes to go. Hit another one on the next possession. Then Bogey got in on the three-point party. Those two combined to make five consecutive three-pointers, and Milwaukee never recovered. Lou was a perfect five of five from the field in the fourth quarter. Bogdanovich finished the game with a game-high 32 points. Capella returned to action, game-high plus 16 in the plus-minus category for him. 111-104 victory for Atlanta. The Hawks were 0-2 in the two games they played without Trey Young before Nate McMillan took over. In the five games they played without him, since Nate became the interim head coach, they're a perfect 5-0. And the beat goes on. All right, now, as we continue on with a toast to the A-Town, and you know what? I kind of feel or hear a little music in, in, in the background um, that just kind of lets me know that, you know, you, you must be, somebody's telling you, you know, because I got my hands above my waist, okay? So I can't be playing anything, but something's telling me that we're getting closer to bringing on our invited guests for this episode. And again, in each time you've heard me say, I try to be as honest as possible. I haven't, I don't think I've told one lie uh, during the course of, of doing this. But when I've said that you're going to see my guest again, or we're going to invite a guest back, or this won't be your only time on, okay, that isn't some Hollywood BS talk, okay? Even though I'm from Southern California, okay? That's really from the bottom of my heart. You know, really, really mean that, right? And it really is on the time of, of, of my special guests, all of them who have been special, uh, uh, to spend a little bit of time time with us. So um, I'm going to bring on a guy, again, needs no introduction. 
And hopefully you heard the episode that he was on a, a, a few episodes ago. But uh, just in case you didn't, um, we still appreciate you joining us here. So uh, with the playoffs right around the corner, with the significant injuries continuing for our Atlanta Hawks, and the fact that he's just tells the best stories in the history of anybody I've known to tell stories. And he's a music guy and I've got my Prince shirt on because uh, I'm thinking about music this week, all this week. Uh, it's the perfect time to bring back gentlemen who spent two decades. All right. Uh, as an athletic trainer and, and medical man in the NBA and uh, continues to uh, be a leader in that field. So we welcome back to a toast to the A-Town, Wally Blaze. Blaze, how you doing, man? I'm doing great, Andre. Nice to see you on this nice, fine Saturday afternoon. You know, it's great to, to, to see you. And again, for the folks that are audio only with us right now, I got to tell you that uh, Wally's in front of his wall of guitars uh, at his house. So we're going to definitely talk a little music uh, during the course of uh, this conversation, hopefully over the next uh, half an hour or so. But uh, I want to start first off with the playoffs being right around the corner. And last Sunday, we saw the 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 tough injury that Trey Young took in the second half against uh, the Knicks. And, and it's the ankle injury that uh, sidelined him for the past couple of games. And again, no direct prognosis on when and exactly how he'll be back. And I'm not going to get Wally to, to, to try to tell us exactly what's going on there. Um, um, I wouldn't do that even if he was there exactly. Right. But Wally, when somebody has the injury that Trey has, and, and, and it's the ankle situation, you, as from the medical side, what is your biggest concern uh, for him coming back? Andre, yeah, great point on, you know, we're not going to speculate on what's going on behind the scenes down there and, you know, at the Hawks practice facility and in the training room. Uh, I know he's getting great, great care from that team. You know, I taught Scotty everything he knows, so he better be getting great care. Just kidding, Scott. <laughs> not really, though. Um <laughs> Ankle sprains in the NBA are probably one of the most common injuries. We all know that, we, you know, but they vary in different degrees. They vary by athlete. They also vary by how the ankle was sprained. You know, did they step on, you know, another player's foot and really invert it drastically? Did it just kind of roll it and tweak it? You know, that's why you hear these grade ones, grade two, grade threes, mm. or I think we read LeBron has a high ankle sprain, which is a little bit more severe and a, and a much different type of ankle sprain. So while for the medical staffs in the NBA, yeah, I'd say the ankle sprain is like riding a bike because it's pretty straightforward. It's how they respond. So the, the biggest thing that they will be working on is getting the swelling out, which is swelling is just your body's way of casting itself. If anybody didn't know that it's, your body is built to protect itself. So if you sprain something, it swells. The swelling is there to, to splint it. It's oh, an actual splint. Okay. But in order to get back faster in sports medicine is we want to get the swelling out as quickly as possible because the next big thing is the range of motion. You need full motion in these joints. Anytime you're limiting yourself with motion, you are at further risk of injury in other places. So the two things they're working on, they have been, I'm sure, since the minute he rolled that ankle in New York, is reducing the swelling by using multiple modalities, ice. I'm sure they have, whether it's Game Ready or Kelvi, these fantastic modalities, even some Sam Sport wearable ultrasound. Mm -hmm. And and then it's working on the motion, which my company, Fusionetics, is the experts at. And, you know, the number one thing is range of motion because everybody thinks you roll the ankle, they'll tape it up, and he'll – 
get out there and play and limp around. If this were the playoffs, I'm sure he would be out there, but he would be, you know, limited in his, you know, 100% capability. The reason why you need motion is you're at risk of injuring yourself again if you don't have full motion and you're at risk of injuring things up your kinetic chain, meaning the ankle may be not the least thing uh, at risk. He could be risking a knee because if you don't have full motion, your, your body can't run normal in the planes that you need to do. And also the strength is weakened. One of the things people don't realize is your glute medius, which is your butt muscle, which mm-hmm. controls your stability in your lower leg, that will shut down with the lateral ankle sprain. Wow. Your body just automatically. Now, the medical staff at the Hawks, they know this. So they're going to be working not just focused on the ankle. You've got to focus on his whole stability because what you don't need to do is get him back out there and he either repeats the injury, now you've lost them longer, or he makes it a worse injury. So that's, you know, especially with an amazing athlete like Trey, where he's one of their stars, mm-hmm. and he's, you know, the future of the Hawks, and he's a future star in the NBA, and they got the playoffs right around the corner. You know, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. You know, once they get those things going, I guarantee you'll see him back on the court, probably with not even realizing which ankle he sprained, you know, because that's, they have a little bit of time to do that here. So, in speaking again, in, in 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 generalities to the type of injury that he has, from your perspective at the medical end, when that player goes back on the floor, when you okay him from a medical perspective to get him back on, does that mean he should? We as fans should expect him to go a hundred percent and not worry about that particular injury. I would say 90% of the time. Now, as we're getting towards the playoffs, he may get back out there at 90% versus 100%. Mm-hmm. But these athletes at 90% are 100% better than anybody else out there. You know, we've, we've all seen it. We saw that back in my day with our guys. You know, mm-hmm. I remember Josh Smith spraining an ankle. We thought he wasn't going to play for months. And three games later, he's arguing with us to let him back in. He's trying to show us how he can dunk on the floor. And he's jumped his rehab stages by a week and a half. And Rick's son didn't like that one bit. So, you know, you, you got to protect the athlete from themselves. I'm sure if you ask Trey, he'd probably go out there and play the next game if he could. So it, when you see him out there, I guarantee the normal fan and even the staff probably is not going to notice. Okay. Anything. Help me. Uh, so let's 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 move on. And, and, and we, since we mentioned LeBron and again, not to not that we're looking at his x-rays or his specific situation, but the high ankle sprain, which we have all heard and which I've been around athletics most of my adult life. And I still like you telling us a, a few minutes ago, like your body casting. I didn't know that, you know, so just help me why the high ankle sprain is uh, tends to be more severe or more more problematic. Well, what people don't realize is it's not even really the ankle that is now sprained when they call it a high ankle sprain. Now, I don't know the exact specifics of LeBron's Mm -hmm. uh, situation, so I don't know what they officially diagnosed it as, Mm -hmm. you know, behind closed doors. But in the papers, it says high ankle sprain. Normally, when people hear ankle sprain, it's lateral ankle sprain. It's, you know, the large bone, your malleolus, down on the side of your foot that people look at on the outside. Mm -hmm. That's where your ankle ligaments connect to. And when you roll your ankle, those are the ones that get stretched. Okay. What happens is if you sprain your ankle and you twist it enough, there's ligaments that hold your two bones, your tibia and your fibula together. And a high ankle sprain, what happens is there's enough torque where your two bones then get sprained. They start to slightly separate. And so when they say high ankle sprain, that's the ligaments that they're worried about that 
you know, this happens a lot in, in hockey, you know, mm-hmm. you, and in hockey, what they'll do is they'll go in and just put a screw right through those two bones and hold them back together because they're going to put them in a hockey boot and mm-hmm. their, their motion from the side to side is protected much better. And they'll heal up real quick with that. Um, NFL players, NBA players, they need more motion laterally yeah. and they don't, they can't be as protected like that. So it takes a long time to heal because you're not just worried about that lateral ligament on the outside that you hear everybody, you know, I sprained my ankle playing tennis. The high ankle sprain is really the ligaments between the two bones that are holding your lower leg together. So that's, that's what makes it a little bit more severe of an injury as far as time frame for pain and just for healing. One final question on our medical segment here and uh, with me picking your brain here and especially uh, relating to us uh, that are fans of the Atlanta Hawks. And again, I go through my experience from watching athletics of every sport and of every sport, my adult life and every injury I've seen, I've never with regularity seen the ankle sprain that I used to see happen with Jeff Jeff Teague, where I thought this man would need a wheelchair. And on multiple occasions, he either sat on the bench, came back the next half and played. And sometimes is there something with some people to work? They can just bounce back from that because I've watched him roll that ankle. I watched him seemingly crush that ankle. And then, oh, wait, 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 it's Teague time. He's back on the floor. What the hell? Yeah, pulling his James Brown image. Yes, that yeah. also, that's what it was. <laughs> <laughs> To be honest, the um, most of the time, the, if we get a player, whether it was Jeff in his rookie year, if they sprain an ankle. If it's their first time ever spraining an ankle, it's mm-hmm. going to take longer mm-hmm. to return. You, you're not just going to bounce right back because it, when they say sprain, you're really tearing the ligaments. Now, you, it depends. It may just fray them a little. It may stretch them, but it's a tear to the ligaments. A sprain is just a nice way of saying it, they, they've torn some of the ligaments. And when you get that first ankle sprain, you really have stretched those ligaments. They are not going to tighten back up, say, if a hamstring strain. Your muscle will grow back and tighten up, and you'll have that you know, elasticity built in. A ligament will not do that. Oh, it will wow. stay stretched, so you'll have some laxity there. So now if somebody that repeatedly sprains their ankle, there's some laxity there that Okay, they sprained their ankle, they're, they're, they're sore, they feel the pain, but they didn't really do any significant damage or even tear, you know, any tissue. So they can kind of, as you've seen it, walk it off, sit down, treat it, retape it, and go back out and, and play because adrenaline's going and then, you know, treat it the next day. Yeah, uh, Jeff was uh, famous for that with his... Uh, down and out ankle sprains and then right back onto the court. Oh my God. That's, you know what? All right. This, that's a perfect, perfect transition to music. But now Jeff, who, uh, uh, again, uh, one of my favorite, favorite people, and it wasn't because he was a talkative guy with the, with me or the media, but he just was a good guy. So uh, Jeff, who was started the season in Boston, uh, was, was part of the uh, trade that got uh, Evan Fournier to Boston and then Orlando waved him and, and he ends back up with, with Coach 
uh, uh, Bud in, in Milwaukee. So unless they're playing the Hawks, I wish nothing but the best uh, for Jeff Teague. But you bring up, uh, I'm going to call him James Brown from now on. And uh, I believe the guy who used to put the cape on James when he had stopped, I believe his name was Danny Ray. And uh, it's Danny <laughs> Ray from. So we're going we're gonna to talk. You told some outstanding stories on the last episode, Wally. Um, you know, whether it was the Pearl Jam concerts with you and the worm and, and music. And I know the music person that, that you are. So a uh, little little question and answer here, and uh, I'll give my answer first. I want to know the very first concert that you went to. And the first one for me, and my parents were a very strict households, so I was, I, was in, I was in all of the eighth grade. And because there was a chaperone involved or a friend of my mother's who was who was more towards uh, kind of dealing with the young folks and, and and having that mindset, I was able to go to a James Brown concert. So that was my first time ever in San Diego, uh, going to San Diego Civic Center uh, with Miss Blanche, my, my my mother's friend, and uh, we go to a James Brown concert. And that was that was number one of, of my music journey. And uh, one, you remember your first concert? Well, first I gotta say that's that's a fantastic first concert. Wow, yeah, uh, you yeah. got your money's worth out of that one. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> Thank you for Miss Blanche, right? Well, let me let, let me let me add one other thing with Miss Blanche. You know, when you're a kid, you're in eighth grade, and anybody over you know 25 is ancient, old, and they don't know anything goes on in the world. So, amazingly, once we get inside there before the concert starts, you kind of smell something going on there that you know that that you smell at breakfast. And I know that Miss Blanche doesn't know this, and all of a sudden, she and like my parents, she was from Texas originally, and she just goes like. Oh my! Smell like somebody done fired one up, and I'm like, oh my god, she knows, <laughs> she knows. They're not as naive as you think, right? As I got older, I, I understood that she really, really knew. But yeah, I definitely got my money's worth for concert number one, and again, eighth grader, and and and, and that was it. Wow, I, I think we have some similarities. I my first concert, I was 13 years old. I think it was '83. Um, it was Rush on the Signals tour. My best friend. John Signar, uh, his dad took us. We sat like in the last row of the upper balconies. Like it's, the place was packed, and it was I, I was just awestruck, you know, because back then there were no music videos, you know. So that's the first time you ever saw your favorite bands live and in person. So that one, I was a diehard fan for the rest of my life, just from that day forward. And what's cool about it for me was that, um, you know, I started working. At an early at an early age, so I, I worked at the commissary store in San Diego. I was a I was a bag boy gr grocery store. That's why I was kind of challenging John Starks on the episode that we had here. With uh, of course, John uh, was a bag boy at Safeway and working his way to the 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 NBA. So I bought my own clothes and everything. So I felt felt really good about that. All right, so we got the first one away because of our music history, Wally, and our love for music. It's this is really an unfair. Uh, it's really unfair to, to, to ask this question and, and, and ask and get an answer. It's like if you had a bunch of kids and, okay, who's your favorite kid? Yeah, you know who that is, but you can't say it out loud, right? So, but I want to know the best concerts you, you've ever gone to. And again, I'll, I'll volunteer mine first because it's not, a, it's not a competition here, but Wally's stories are always going to be better than mine. So this is just for references point. But um, I'll just go ahead. My favorite artist uh, is Prince. Um, and uh, during the course of uh, his lifetime, uh, mine too, I guess, uh, I saw him perform 38 times. Wow. And um, and not one bad show. Uh, 
saw him coast to coast. One year I saw him. Uh, one year I saw him uh, do the same tour uh, in four cities. I saw him in. Uh, I saw him in New York. Saw him here in Atlanta. Uh, saw him in Las Vegas and saw him in Los Angeles. And every one of those shows uh, was different. But I've got to say, uh, probably for me, uh, the the second or third Prince show I ever saw uh, was one of the best ones I saw because the time uh, it was involved, part of that that group and uh, 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 Vanity Six and the whole the whole nine yards. So that was my my number one. All right, balls in your court, my friend. Well, that's uh, good thing I'm not going that direction because you can't top that. One, the amount of times you've seen him and me and you before the started, we're talking about just what an amazing guitar player Prince is. And maybe not even known by the general public who are just into his pop music or think that he's a pop star, but true rock and roll, just music aficionados know that the man was unbelievable on the guitar. Just Mm -hmm. so jealous on that one. Um, I know we had talked about this and I kind of jotted some notes down because you're right. It is unfair, you know, mm-hmm. best concerts ever. So I, I kind of was going to split this into two quick categories. Uh, one uh, are two bands that are indie bands in small venues. So you, mm-hmm. you can't compare those shows, even though they're amazing mm-hmm. to going and seeing, you know, Pearl Jam, you know, right. it's, it's just not fair, but the concerts are unbelievable. So I, I can't say one's better than the other, but, the two best small venue bands I've ever seen were uh, J. Roddy Walton and the Business. Good friends of mine, but a phenomenal band. They played New Year's Eve here at the Terminal West mm-hmm. in Atlanta, 2019. And the good thing about that is they were actually all staying at my house because they had no place to stay. Uh- <laughs> but I was, they were running out of songs, and I was helping them with just the continued set list because they just kept going because it was New Year's Eve. And so... Nice. That was phenomenal because it was just sitting there watching them just rock this place. And then the second one is the Truth and Salvage Company who played at Smith's Old Bar. And the reason that was Smith's is so small. Yes. And their band was actually uh, produced by the guys in the Black Crows. And at that night, Chris Robinson from the Black Crows sat in with them. And they jammed a cover of Sweet Nothing by the Velvet Underground that you talk about the your friend's mom, uh, the family <laughs> yeah, mom saying something's smelling in here. But uh, we knew something was going up because Smith isn't that big and it, it smelled like a Grateful Dead show. And <laughs> those guys rocked it that night, the guys in Truth and Salvage Company. So if you guys are listening to this and people want to hear some new music, check out J. Roddy Walton in the business and check out Truth and Salvage Company. They, they were unbelievable bands playing small venues that made you feel like it was the, the night of your life. Hmm. So I, I, those are my small venue ones. When mm-hmm. we get to top shows of all time, uh, I thought about this, and it's Pearl Jam because they just are the modern-day Zeppelin Grateful Dead as far as every night you're getting 30, 35 songs, three-hour show, Ooh, and a different set list. So to pick out the best shows I ever saw, and I was talking to my wife about this, and it's tied. It's the, the 20th anniversary shows they did at Alpine Valley – because of just the enormity of their catalog. Uh, once again, I was there with the worm mm-hmm. and Chris Cornell came out and they did temple, the dog sets both nights and probably it, it was like watching almost eight hours of concert between the two nights. So that's one, the, the best one of all time though, was their first Wrigley show in 2013 that famously got rained out seven songs in with a five hour rain delay and everybody thought the, the city had a curfew of midnight and they didn't get back on the stage until 1145. 
Mm. So we thought, are we getting 15 minutes of music? What's going to happen? The good thing is that show, once again, I was with The Worm. And the reason this show is so great is during that five-hour rain delay, Dennis, Chris Chelios took us into Murphy's Bleachers, the bar across the street. There's an upstairs apartment that they had access to. Uh, the Basically, the entire Chicago Blackhawks Stanley Cup team from that year was there. Uh, and we just partied in there while they had direct contact with the band, so we knew when it was time to go back across the street. Mm-hmm. Now, we walked across the street. We're in a bar, but now they've shut off all liquor sales because it's 1145 at night because, mm-hmm. you know, at most concerts and even ball games, they stop serving at a certain point. So there was no alcohol. And we were just having the time of our life. The band went on and I fell backwards onto something and I thought it was going to land flat on my back. And I basically sat down and what it was, was a pallet like you would see at a grocery store of beer. And, no. I, and Chris Kellios <laughs> had taken a pallet of cases of beer, paid for it and just pulled it across the street from Murphy's into this section we had on the infield watching them. And Pearl Jam played till 2 a.m. They had the city lift the curfew. So that is just that experience alone and just the energy they put out after that long of a delay is by far the best concert I've ever seen. Uh, You know, Brent Berry was there with me. It was just a celebrity list of who's who and just the experience and how much energy that band put out. So, wow. That's phenomenal. See, like I said, this isn't a contest, but I told you his story was going to be way better than mine. That's crazy. The one thing that the, the thing we have in common and um, um, one of the guys that you hired with the Hawks, I, I bring up uh, uh, the best equipment manager in the NBA. That's Zach Walsh. Uh, took over some of your traveling secretary duties when you alluded to the last time you were here on a toast to the eight time, Wally. But that some of our heroes have become friends. And I believe it. And again, you could say that for for athletics, that shouldn't count for you. But we're not talking about athletics. We're talking rock and roll. We're talking Pearl Jam, and even from 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 my from where I sit, um, I'm going to randomly bump into Dr. J, maybe at the finals or or do some event with the retired players. But there's no guarantee that beyond that interaction, there's going to be much. So the fact that my basketball hero became a friend and was almost, you know, we were we were in Boston. I had an extra day, and he had an he had an open spot for golf and just, you know, hey, you want to you want to you want to join us? And and I'm like, you know, uh, 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 Mean Joe Green and the kid with a Coca-Cola. You know, I, I words don't even come out of my mouth because I couldn't answer him. And I'm a diehard golfer. Right. I just I just gibberish came out of my mouth. But um, from that day, um, we end up with a great relationship. And that's how it is with you and Pearl Jam, Wally. Yeah. You know, they're. Um... I'm not, they're not calling me on the phone every day and we don't exchange. And neither is Julius. Who they are permeates straight into the fans uh, and to their friends. I mean, they're no different. You you know, uh, yes, they're iconic. You know, they're in the hall of fame, but they're just so down to earth and they're so genuine with everybody, you know, and they're, they're sincere and their causes that they champion, whether it's, you know, rock to vote or the environment you know, or ALS support, you know, with the other people they know, they're just, you know, they're just fantastic guys, you know, and that's how, especially Eddie and Jeff, they've treated me 
as if I'm just a friend of theirs and it didn't have anything to do with knowing Dennis Rodman or the Chicago Bulls. And, mm-hmm. you know, even to the day, I'm, I, I have nothing to do with either of those organizations anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's, you know, if, if they're in town, I'll, I'll I, I know I, I have a pass to see them and still they welcome me backstage. They give me a hug. They say, hi, they're just, just great guys. I mean, they, my daughter's first show ever was a Pearl Jam show and they wow. had, they had, they didn't just have a seats in the crowd. Eddie's like, no. And Jeff, they're like, she's going to sit up here right on the side of the stage with, they gave her the headphones to cover her ears because of the noise came over in the middle of the show and talked to her. I mean, just nice, genuine people, you know, that, and you want to hear that about people, you know, like mm-hmm. you said, Dr. J, like mm-hmm. what an idol, you know, and yes. you meet them and you're like, what, a genuine human right. being and just so great. You know, he sat next to me at one of the all-star games when I was working it on the bench and just talked to me as if we had known each other forever. And we're just sincerely nice. And you're just in shock because mm-hmm. you're in awe of these people mm-hmm. and they're just so down to earth, you know, and, and that's, what's great about, about that. Yeah. And, and the reason I brought uh, uh, Zach Walsh's name up because uh, in a similar situation, Zach is friends with Garth Brooks that way again from a random meeting kind of, but that has developed and they do call each other, you know, and I can tell you way back when I worked at ESPN, uh, one year for the ESPYs, I had about a 10 minute interaction with, uh, with Garth because of Harold Reynolds. And I just got the impression then that that's how Garth is. It's just a good guy. You know what I mean? That's just, I didn't have one. I knew his songs, but I know one, I didn't own one album at the time of his and that didn't matter. You know, and you know me and my big mouth, I had to tell him, you know, <laughs> and, yeah. and 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 just to know how cool he and uh, our friend Zach are right now goes uh, right up that alley. I'll tell you another um, completely random one. Um, first of all, let me shout out my old area of Southern California because um, I ended up with uh, I ended up with a friendship with one of the guys in the time, uh, and he's purple rain and stuff, and, and and that was Jerome who carried the Jerome carried the mirror for Morris Day and was in Purple Rain and all the movies. But basically, this friendship starts because I used to go to the best place, Wally, that you could get your shoes shine in the entire United States. Now you know me, you know I know how to wear a suit, you know I know how to put my my stuff on, so I know in every city where to go get your shoes shine. And I mm-hmm. lived in New York for seven years, so it's great stuff in New York and Chicago. But there's a place in Los Angeles called Chambers Brothers, and they had two they had two shops. Um, they had one on Central Avenue, which was which was 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 deep in the heart of South, South Central Los Angeles, the, the old hood, and they had one on Slauson uh, in the Crenshaw district. But that original one uh, on Central. That was the mecca of getting the shoes shines. And they may have had they may have had 20, 25 chairs way back in the day. So everybody who was anybody or if you appreciated having your shoes done, that's where you went to go. So that's how I uh, ended up uh, with a good friendship with um, uh, Eric Davis, who was on the Cincinnati Reds, who was from that neighborhood. That's how I met Jerome. And it's a little bit like going to the barbershop. Remember the, days, the, the, the days that I would go. You know, were, were, were the days you would see the same people because I go on the same day kind of. So that's how I meet Jerome. So long story short, when I first moved to Atlanta and it's the year it's uh, 99, 2000, the Super Bowl is here and I, I'm working for CNN Sports and there's all kinds of events going on here in town, as you would know. And it just so happens that the time is performing at one of the three day before, you know, the Super Bowl events right there. And 
I am working in that venue for some CNN Sports Illustrated stuff. So my good buddy, John Booty, who, who, who played for the Arizona Cardinals and Washington Redskins, and, and we are friends, Wally. So I tell him, hey, man, we need to go to this thing because I know some guys in the Times. And just as you would do to a friend, he goes, bullshit. You don't know none of them guys. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Morris Day lived in Atlanta for years, and I just happened to see Morris walking. Well, he's a star, but I don't care. My guy is Jerome. So, I, hey, Morris, Morris, is Jerome with you guys? Yes. Well, tell him Andre's over here. Okay. And he sent him there. So we end up talking. We go to the whole show. We do the bird, you know, and get people on stage, all that good stuff. Yeah. But, he, but here's the best part of the story. So after that show is over, me and John Booty end up going backstage with the time. Well, well, Wally, backstage is not, this isn't a stage. This is a, this is the convention center. So it's Booth's area. So all of the time, guys, are sitting on Anvil cases, and I go back there, and we end up spending like 20 minutes drinking beers and shooting the shit with them. And the beauty of that was I only knew Jerome. I didn't know the other guys. And, and Morse being the headliner, Morse was gone, but every other guy in the time was there. And the drummer, Jellybean Johnson, you could tell these are all sports guys. He's looking at me. He was like, man, I know you from somewhere. I'm like, you watch sports? He's well, we all are. That's all we do. We're not playing. We're not playing music. We watch sports. I'm like, oh, I used to work for ESPN. That's where I saw you. And then I became the star of that backstage thing. So for that afternoon, uh, I definitely was, was was king for the day. So that's my my music story. Again, it wasn't the palate of beer getting put on there, but it's just to show how regular these guys are, just like everybody else. Oh yeah. Oh, uh, unbelievable. You 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 hit it right on the head. That's it's. I think they they take down their layers when they're around people that that make them comfortable. Mm -hmm. And I think we both have a comfortable personality. Mm -hmm. And they also know you're not really there for anything other right. than appreciation of their music uh, or of them. And they also athletes athletes love sports, or I mean, mm -hmm. athletes love music. Mm -hmm. Musicians love sports. You know, there's the big thing is there's a lot of athletes that want to be musicians. And there's definitely a lot of musicians that wish they were athletes. You see all of them, you know, the stories of, you know, the guys that play hoops on the road or they mm -hmm. got their own soccer clubs, you know, and those things. So, and I think they enjoy that because they get around you and you can tell them, they can ask you like, what's so-and-so like, Absolutely. you know, and you trade stories back and forth, which makes it fun and it makes for an enjoying conversation. And it's not the mundane, mm -hmm. hey, why did you write that song? Or mm -hmm. what's it like to be a star? You know, it becomes... Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's a give and take and it makes a good relationship that way. Now, I'm sure a lot of folks out there uh, uh, saw the uh, um, the James Brown movie that chat with the late chat with Bozeman was in uh, Get Up. And if you haven't seen that, uh, you owe it to yourself to Netflix or however you can. Um, but you can understand from that movie. And if you're a music fan, you also know that James Brown was a tough taskmaster and he came from a different era. OK, but that was just just tough. Well, Prince was also a tough taskmaster too, but he was the boss. But and and even though he had gone to junior high school and and, and high school with Morris Day and some of these guys in, in this, I mean, he was a tough task. So I say that in that that afternoon that I'm hanging out with the time back there and and and, and we're talking. Uh, you know what? I, I only know how to be honest. So first of all, I understand I'm not trying to cause conflict. So I let it be known that Prince is my guy, but I understand that he's a tough tough guy. And that concert that I alluded to with you earlier as being the best one that I ever went to, well, to be honest with you, the time 
kick Prince's ass that night. That's how good that show was. It's not wow. that Prince was bad, right? Yeah. So I bring up this to these guys. I'm like, hey, you guys, I saw one of your shows. And on this particular night in San Diego, uh, you guys whooped this. And much like you could talk to Josh Smith about a game from 10 years ago or any other athlete that we know, they remembered it like it was, oh, yeah, we remember that show. And yes, we did. And there are also consequences from that. And that just blew my mind that, you know, these in my mind, like they've done a thousand shows. Matter of fact, the reason we're sitting on Animal Cases drinking beers is because they had to, uh, uh, they were going to do a show in Milwaukee the next day, you know, so they're about to get out. But there's like, yeah, we remember that show. Yeah, you know, it is. It's, it, it, these bands, it, it's exactly like you said, statistically, they'll know when they hit a good show, just like you said, you know, Joe Johnson or Ty Lue will tell you, oh, I remember that game. You know, I, I, yeah, I had 22. They'll tell you about a high school game they had. You know, and that's the same with these musicians. They'll say, yeah, that night in Budapest, uh, right? it was the greatest show we ever saw or one of the best. You know, the way the fans were, the, the you know, the night was just right. You know, so mm -hmm. it, that's what's so great about live sports and live music because you don't know what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. you know, some of the nights I've, I've had friends that are musicians where they just felt the worst, maybe even it like fluish not, and I'm not even talking hungover or something mm -hmm. and they'll come back and say that was the best show I ever did. And I don't know what happened there. You know, mm -hmm. it, it's crazy. Well, uh, great music stuff there. Uh, Wally on episode one of a toast to the a town. And, and I told the folks, all of my, my feelings about uh, everything, Atlanta Hawks and, and, and history and stuff. Um, I gave him my top 10 list of my all time, favorite Hawks, my 10 favorite Hawks. And again, it didn't necessarily have to do with the playing ability or like the 10 highest scores or 10 this or 10 that, but the 10 guys that affected me or made me feel good or, 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 or has left to fill in an imprint with me. And so I want to throw out some of those names and, you know, a couple of them are before your time, but just um, if you got a story or you've got, you know, a, a, a thought about any, any, any other three, and I'll do it in, I'll do it in three. So I, I put Dominique at the, at the, top of the list because there's a there's a statue out in front of the building that goes without saying uh pete maravich uh, is, is in that list uh the, the late lou hudson is in, in that list and a name you just said uh, uh joe johnson joe johnson is on my list and as i said in episode one a lot of folks get get caught up in the money that that he made well all they all make money okay joe is just solid on my list from day one and and, and from the day he left Oh, and the money thing, I, I, it still confounds me. The, the star of your team makes money, and Joe Johnson deserved every dollar he got paid, and I don't know why anybody got upset that the Hawks paid it. Right now, Joe Johnson would be a bargain for what, mm -hmm. what the Hawks paid him on, on the current salary. So, and what he did, the guy never – he was the Iron Man, mm -hmm. okay? He didn't miss a game until, like, his sixth season with us. And it was a meaningless game in Miami where he got kneading the calf by Esteban Batista, you know, oh. who, <laughs> you know, and Joe just couldn't even move his leg after that. His calf was so swollen, you know, but Joe, Joe was not only one of the best two guards that the Hawks ever had in their history. He's one of the, in his era, he was uh, just look at, you know, he led, I think I saw a stat. He led the NBA a couple of years ago in game winning shots, you know, and he, everybody thinks, you know, cause he's got a real quiet, I mean, yes. Joe's got a real quiet personality. I tell a story about 
Joe could fall asleep anywhere. I would be doing treatment on him and he'd be sound asleep. I'm talking drooling sound asleep, no matter what. And we all know this, that the old in Cleveland used to land down at the airstrip down by the football stadium. And it was like a two minute bus ride to the hotel from there. Joe's the only guy that would fall asleep between getting off the plane, getting on the bus and getting to the hotel. We'd have to wake him up. It's literally a two minute bus ride. But Joe, I, I, what I love, my, my thing about Joe is when my daughter was born, you know, we're traveling so much. The only time I get to see her is on a Sunday off day, but that's treatment day. So coaches have off. Anybody that's not injured has off. But if you're injured, you got to come in. So I would take her with me just so, and she'd be in the bassinet, you know, mm-hmm. car carrier, just an infant. Mm-hmm. And we would be doing rehab with Joe and Joe would just hold her like on his chest while he's doing squats and leg presses right. while I could work with the other guys. So you know, Joe's Joe in my heart, one of the top all time Hawks, you know, and I told you the story how him and Ty Lue bought the hockey jerseys for my hockey team here in Atlanta, Patty's lads. Uh, we needed a set of white jerseys and they're asking me how much. And I said, it's going to cost X amount of dollars. And I, I did kind of hit them up on the right day as I was handing them per diem envelopes for a West coast trip. And they both, <laughs> You're no dummy. Yeah. They both peeled off, you know, the, about 500 <laughs> bucks a piece to pay for our jerseys and our, our team still has them and they wear them. And if, when you join the team, it's kind of a legend that the guys on the team are proud to tell, like you, you realize Joe Johnson and Ty Lue basically own our team. Ah, that's wrong. Well, yeah. let me give you a few of uh, three other guys off off my list, okay? And that's uh, uh, Steve Smith, Dikembe Mutombo, Paul Millsap. Well, you almost are grouping these guys in uh, perfect order because obviously Joe there with Neek and mm-hmm. and uh, Pistol Pete. You know, obviously Dominique's the Michael Jordan of the Atlanta Hawks. Let's just okay. be honest; he's the human highlight film. And once again, just a deserving guy, just phenomenal person. So I, I love Neek. He, he looked out for me my entire career with the Hawks in many ways, even with management. So mm-hmm. I can't say enough about him and just great players. Now you list this next group of Smitty, yes. Paul Millsap, and Dikembe, and you're listing like the philanthropist, the the mm-hmm. nicest human beings, like just for um, – what they do in the community and who they are, their personalities, you know, uh, obviously Smitty phenomenal guy. He, he was working with the Hawks, not as a player by the time I got here. So I, I just love Steve Smith, you know, just mm-hmm. great guy. Obviously Paul Millsap. Um, even after I left the Hawks, I was still helping him out while he was a Hawk and he has his uh, him and his uh Family have core four, their, their huge basketball facility here in Atlanta, which if you're a young basketball player, you should check it out. Um, we helped them out over there. And, you know, I was happy to, that Paul asked us to help out over there. And then you got Dikembe. And there's nothing you can say about Dikembe Mutombo that's not true. I mean, the man is a legend. He is, he's bigger than basketball as far as a global person and just a humanitarian. You know, every time I see him, the first thing I get is, Wally! And then a big hug from this guy. It doesn't matter who's around, you know. So um, I, I just love him. It, and if he sees my wife, and she does a lot of work because uh, she's in medicals, sales, if he's mm-hmm. at the hospital, and she from across the lobby, he will, like, yell out her name and just come booming across. So mm-hmm. you, you, Deke is the greatest. He's the only player I've ever had, and this includes Michael Jordan, an excused absence to miss practice because he was meeting with the president. Whoa. Yeah. When we first got here, he had, he had practice off one morning because he was in Washington meeting with the president. 
and then still made it back for the game. You know, that's yes. big time when you're yes. just leaving the practice to go meet the president. Mm, 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 mm. Uh, and then the final three of, of my 10 uh, guy who was a guest here a, a, a few weeks, a few episodes ago, Jamal Crawford, uh, Kyle Korver and Zaza Pachulia. Well, I, I you got a great list going on here. And, you know, I, Kyle, I, my favorite thing, and Kyle will tell you this to this day, is birthday St. Patrick's Day. And, you know, being Irish, I, I never miss his birthday. He'll be the first text he usually gets, probably midnight the night before, and he just laughs. Um, just just love Kyle and, and, and his family. Just, uh, just I was so happy when we got him uh, in the trade just because I knew I was getting a great guy and a great basketball player. Uh, you said Jamal and – Jamal and Zaza. And Zaza. Well, and I'm going to go to Zaza is just big Z. You know, same thing with my daughter. Just loved her, carried her, hugged her, and just, you know, talk about a local celebrity. He embraced Atlanta so well, and he just became, you know, Atlanta's, you know, like, tough guy. They're rocky. They're, you know, mm -hmm. a hardworking grinder that, you know, every team has to have, and just uh, just a, a beautiful person. Look, he's he's the he is the he is the emblem for us of the 1-8 matchup against the, the 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 bully Celtics with their with their great three with their big three from that year he yep. is the seat we're not afraid we may not win but you're not gonna punk us you're damn sure not gonna punk me yep that and that's why we went seven I remember losing and Mike Bibby telling them all we'll be back and they're like you're getting swept and he said it every time and we came back and and then finally Jamal Crawford now I have a personal spot in my heart from Jamal because I've known Jamal his entire career because we drafted him in Chicago when I was oh. there. And me and Jamal will tell this story um, to a lot of the rookies about his first summer league game, and we just laugh and cry about it. He he had never really been in an NBA locker room. He played a very short stint at Michigan mm -hmm. and then got to the NBA, and that first game, it was not what he thought it would be. And it, it, I'm not going to tell this story now just because I need to have Jamal with you on to tell it because we love it. We tell it to the other rookies all the time. But this is I'm going to tell you something about Jamal that people don't know. He is the most caring person in the world. I had a friend who I grew up with, went to grade school with, went to high school with. He had uh, was married, three kids. His wife passed away of cancer like weeks after their third child was born. And we were doing this is before there were GoFundMe's and all this. So the people back home were putting on kind of like a silent auction for him. And me being the only guy that was in like the NBA, I was calling around and I never do this. I was calling around to all my teams, mm -hmm. you know, Gary Vitti with the Lakers. I need Kobe shoes signed. You know, I never ask for these things. Right. And everybody was like, you got it. You know, the big guy stepped up every superstar in the league at the time. And when I got a hold of Roger at the Knicks, I said, can Jamal sign a jersey for me? And Roger's like, hold on, Jamal's right here. And Jamal's like, what's this for? And I told him, and he said, well, what What do you guys, how much are you trying to raise? And I said, well, the number was this, a number. Right. And he said, my signed jersey? He goes, who am I writing this check to? I said, for what? He goes, what's the number you need? And he wrote a check to cover what they were trying to make at this silent auction. He's like, I'll sign you a jersey, but you guys need, this man needs help. Yeah. And he didn't. Jamal had already left the Hawks or left the Bulls. Was on New York. He didn't even come to the Hawks yet. And he remembered me from one summer league season as the assistant trainer there. Ooh. Just what a fantastic guy, you know. And I see him on Twitter all the time. Guy still should be in the league. If somebody could use him. And then when to get him here on the Hawks, 
Mm-hmm. We just let, you know, I was just happy to see him. He was happy to see me. And the only other thing about Jamal is he will wear the same shoes. He's the opposite of these guys the entire season. I would have to get halfway through the season. Like Jamal, I got to take your shoes away from you because you've worn them through to the sole. He was just that superstitious. He actually wears shoes the whole time and not change them. Whoa. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But that's the kind of guy Jamal is. You picked a phenomenal list of great guys. You know, for me, it's the extra. And uh, don't get me wrong. Every guy on that list was a great basketball player. But it's that extra that I know that that I can't necessarily express. I can express a little, but I can't express like that. And again, I know Jamal a lot, but I don't know Jamal like that. And that story right there really speaks to the heart of okay, no, no, what do, no, what do we need? What are we trying to do here? Exactly. I got I got you, Wally. I mean, that and I don't know if you remember the game winner when we were down, what, like seven with like four seconds to go against Phoenix. And he like stole the ball twice, then mm-hmm. went to a corner. It was, I, I remember talking to Steve Kerr after the game when he was the GM. And I, he said, oh my God, he goes, the problem is I went back before the game ended and I was laying on the table here in the training room. And he goes, and for some reason I just said, in 30 seconds, I'm just going to hear this place blow up. And he goes, and sure enough, it did. Oh, you know, it, that was just one of the best endings I've ever seen in a basketball game. Jamal just like put some magic out there that only in a, like a Disney movie does that happen. Mm, that's strong, strong, strong. Hey, Wally, uh, before I let you go, and so we got my list. And the next time I, I uh, next time we get you back on here, uh, we're going to go through your list of favorite hawk and we can't narrow that to, to 10. So I, we're going to let you do that to, to 20 and, and, and give us some love on that. But um, for those that are listening only, and again, I, I kind of mentioned this when we brought Wally on, but Wally is sitting in front of his uh, wall of g- guitars. So, and as a, as a part of the Hawks traveling squad, here's the thing. There's one hotel in Memphis that all the NBA teams stay at. And it was right across the street from the Gibson factory. And when you checked into this, hotel they actually you could rent uh you could rent a guitar for free and take it up to your room and play it and all that so uh that was my thing but i was beginner guitar i just uh not very good is what what i'm saying but i would still do that and wally's a real guitar player so behind wally right now um he has a wall of of, uh, five guitars and they're all pristine is there a story behind each guitar behind you yeah, there is. And I, I will preface this that uh, while I own all these guitars and I play a lot of guitar, I am not a very good guitar player. I, I, always, I grew up a drummer and I was always a drummer in bands in high school and college, but I was a frustrated. I just wanted to pick up the guitarist guitar and I, you know, and I learned and took lessons and I'll just never be as good as I want to be. So I'm, I'm very shy about my playing other than if I'm by myself, but yeah, each one of these guitars, it's, you know, uh, the white one, the Fender Stratocaster you see right there, that was actually given to me by Billy Corgan, Smashing Pumpkins. And it, that's just a story in itself. It, it, it Short story is uh, we were having dinner in Chicago. I, I was um, Dwight Manley, Dennis Robbins, former agent said, Hey, we're going to be at Gibson's, the famous steakhouse come over and have a drink with us. So we walked in and we did, and he was having dinner with Billy Corgan and one of his band members. And, and I've known Billy kind of like I known Eddie, just cause Billy is a local Chicago guy. We're a year apart. You know, he stayed in Chicago, still lives there. So we became friends through the bulls years and, you know, just we're um, a lot alike in our musical taste. So we would sit and have long discussions about the music we like. 
the funny thing is my wife had no idea who he was and she's sitting next to him in this booth as we're having drinks. She's like, Oh, what do you do? And he's like, well, I'm a guitarist and I'm in a band. She's like, Oh, she's like, Wally plays guitar. And I'm like looking at her like, don't say that to him. She's like, you do? I said, well, you know, I, she's like, yeah, I got him a guitar and guitar lessons for his you know, birthday. And he's like, Oh, he's like, I'm going to send you a guitar. And the only reason this happened was I wasn't listening to their conversation, but it, Turns out Billy is this huge wrestling fan. And my wife is best friends with Big Papa Pump, Scott Rex Steiner's wife, Krista, and they're family friends now. And Billy was, she had told him all this, and he was just so excited to meet Big Papa Pump and talk wrestling that he basically had traded you know, a guitar for a signed autograph from Big Papa Pump for his studio. Oh, my God. And I didn't think, you know, and we left, and I never thought anything of it. And, like, two weeks later, I get a text from him, and it says, hey, you need to send me your address. And I'm like, oh. And he's like, yeah, I need to send you the guitar. He's like, and, hey, have you had a chance to talk to Scott Steiner yet? And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. What, what, they said their garage is full of stuff. What do you want? You know, like a life-size cutout. You know. Wow. <laughs> yeah, and sure enough, that guitar showed up. The case it came in is nicer than most of my guitars to begin with. It's got, like, yeah. orange pumpkin fur. But yeah. that, that's one of my favorites because it's it, the, the story behind it. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And, and then the rest, you know, I got you got your Les Paul there. That was um, – that's – that's probably the most expensive guitar up there. And that was a gift from my wife for my birthday. And uh, yeah, I was, I was shocked. Yeah. So she got that at the Chicago music exchange in Chicago. And those guys, uh, thank God they kind of saw her coming, but uh, they didn't take her into the vintage room and try and Ooh. get it. Yeah. <laughs> get it real like a, a sun but yeah. And then I got my other ones like a Telecaster knockoff. And then the Washburn hollow body, just that's a Chicago made guitar. And then, like I told you the other day, uh, the Flying V, Gibson Flying V, just because you have to. Just because. Just because. The only thing that would top all that would be like if you had a – no, no, uh, I ran into uh, this lady, and it was Hornswoggle's cousin, and we started talking wrestling, right? But no, no, that's, that's awesome stuff, man. Wally, as always, man, appreciate your time to the best, man. And as I said before, this won't be your last time on with us. Thanks, buddy. I appreciate it. This was a, a great discussion. I'm going to rack my brain with a lot of beers trying to figure out my top 20 because I've loved every hawk I've had, but I know there is a top 20. I will. I have to give a shout out to Hanno Matala. I was talking with him via text from Finland last night because he was translating something from Finnish for me. And I said, you know, you're making my top five, buddy. And he, <laughs> he's like, OK, I need to hear that podcast. So. <laughs> be so be sure he uh, be sure when you text with him again, uh, be sure to tell him that I said hello, even though he doesn't know me. But uh, in addition to being a hawk, he is a Utah Ute. And again, I started my career, my professional career in Salt Lake City. And uh, I left the Ute and risked me, Jairus and all that uh, just a few years before he got there. But uh, obviously uh, been a big fan of his. Uh, so, so send my love uh, uh, that way, too. Oh, I will. Hey, fantastic guy. But yeah, I'm looking forward to a, an, another chat with you, my friend. This has been fun. All right, Wally. Thank you very much, man, for joining us here on this episode of A Toast to the A-Town. And uh, I'm, I'm going to say it again. I, I'm going to say it to the end, but I really need to add no words to what my guests have said already. And then just the very best from uh, uh, a Wally Blaze. You know, some, some great uh, educational thoughts there as far as the uh, possibility and, and the ankle injury and, and, and what the ankle injuries entail and stuff. And, 
you know, as, as, as diehard fans of our club, um, we only hope to see uh, Trey back 100% as we uh, end this three-year playoff drought, hopefully dodge that 7 through 10 position and, and definitely finish 6. And, and as I said uh, earlier, what a what a phenomenal, phenomenal uh, victory for the Hawks uh, as they took care of business uh, against the Miami Heat on, on the past Friday just because uh, uh, that guaranteed them the tiebreaker against them against the, uh, the Heat if things play out that way. So that's going to wrap up this edition of A Toast to the A-Town, presented by the Basketball Podcast Network. I'm Andre Aldridge. Hey, the great guests will continue. Uh, got a big surprise for the next episode coming up too, so keep it right here. Make sure you hit the subscribe button, and I will see you next time. <laughs>